And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It is uh, Monday, uh, Bruce, on Sunday, the sad news that Bobby Bowden has passed away at the age of 91. Uh, we knew he had terminal cancer, so you and I shared some stories about him a couple weeks ago on the pod, but I think it was at the very end of a long episode, I'm not sure, that everybody would have heard that, so I wanted to... Um, you know, take some time here off the top of the podcast because Bobby was a just an absolutely um, one of the all-time great coaches, uh, a huge personality in the sport when both you and I were coming up in the '90s. Um, the thing that stands out when you know, and Andy Staples wrote a tremendous tribute to him on our site. Lots of people wrote tributes in terms of the football part of it. The stat that just blows my mind every time I see it from 1987 to 2000. Florida State finished in the top four of the AP poll 14 straight years. We talk a lot about Nick Saban and his national championships, and there's no question it's a it's it's the most impressive feat probably anybody has had in the history of this sport. But do you think anybody will ever do that again? Even Alabama occasionally has a season where they finish eighth or ninth. I don't know. That's a good question. I hadn't thought of it like that. I mean, it was a remarkable run. I think also was, you know, pretty amazing about it was he had an arch rival at the time which was for a long stretch of 20 years was like the top program in the country and it was in the same state in Miami you know I know he had the line about and he played Miami and there was the wide rights and so you're measuring up against that you know they won five national titles in that stretch but he went from that length and even beyond um was remarkable. I, I'd like to just touch on one thing. As you said, you and I both kind of came up in, you know, on the national football beats around the time when Bobby Bowden was established as probably the biggest coach in college football, at least in my mind he was. You know, there was Steve Spurrier, there was Joe Paterno. Um, but to me, he was he was different. And the thing that, that um, I will always remember about Bobby Bowden is – and this is the way I would describe it. It's like he was shockingly accessible and approachable. And the reason why I use the word shockingly is because he was the biggest coach in, in the country. And you could not only get him, you could, he was very approachable and engaging. And that's just how he was. Um, I remember we had a, at ESPN Magazine, we had a story fall through late or it just shifted and it was like hey can you get Bobby Bowden on the phone I didn't know Bobby Bowden hardly at all at that point and was able was able to talk to him for at length and he really opened up because he seemed to always he was just open um, I don't say really opened up because he was just that's how he seemed to be 
Um, and so, you, you know, you and I both know a lot of people in football who either worked for them or played for them who uh, have such admiration for how for his warmth um, as it was. And that's what I will remember about him. Obviously, the teams were great. The players were phenomenal. Um, you and I talked offline a little over the weekend about him. And, you know, when it comes to these Rushmore coaches in college football, and I, I think you agree with me on this point that given what Nick Saban has done, he has distanced himself from the rest of the great, great coaches. I don't know who would be my number two at this point. Bobby Bowden, I would say, is definitely in the is in that mix, though. Agreed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really hard to compare people from different eras. Um, you know, people might automatically default to Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant was before my time. Uh, but you know, the thing with Bowden Just is so you know, he, Bear Bryant was before my time too. Stu, let's not let's not make it like a like. A, you don't. You didn't watch the. Uh, I watched a little uh, when I was when I was you were thirteen kid. years old, and no, I don't. Uh, you know, just the fact that, and you talk about, we, I just asked you, would anybody ever, ever be able to do, uh, to have a run like they had? I mean, I think another thing that nobody's ever going to be able to do is, is, and this is partially because of the way college football is structured now, we don't really have independence, uh, except for Notre Dame and BYU, a couple others. He took over that program. It had never been a factor in anything in college football and turns it into one of the most, to, to one of the powerhouses of the whole sport for a long period of time. And he did it by basically playing anyone, anywhere, anytime. So because it's pretty hard to make it as an independent, it's pretty hard to do that now. Uh, we've seen, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, Clemson was a bit of an, has been a bit of an upstart recently. Clemson had a national title already. We've talked about Oregon and how they've reinvented their program, but I don't think anything quite compares to them going from complete afterthought to basically every year starting in the late eighties and then throughout the nineties up until 2000, it was like Alabama. Now they were count. You could count on them to be in the national title mix every single season. Yeah. I, I remember doing a story about him. This was the story I was referencing and Travis Johnson. I don't know if you remember him. He was a defensive lineman from Southern California and went there big personality. And um, I remember talking to Travis and he was like, he gets us. And when he says us, he means the players. And he connected with the players in a way that I don't think a lot of coaches always did. Especially, remember, the time you're talking about, Stu, let's say from the 1980, early 80s, to basically the early 2000s, was a big shift in college sports and even and even in the culture, I think, of sports, right? I mean, we saw, we saw I mean, I wrote a whole book about this with Miami. But Florida State was right there with it, and I think that Bobby Bowden's ability to connect with different people, different personalities, and make them feel very comfortable wherever they were and how he met them in that way, I think was one of his greatest gifts, and I think that was pretty special. And, you know, not a lot of coaches were able to, to, to balance that the way he was at his prime, especially. And it was a long period of time. That was his prime. He was the ultimate closer in recruiting. That's for sure. He wasn't necessarily, you know, like today's head coaches who are texting the kids 365 days a year, you know, the assistants did much of the the legwork and then he came in at the end and closed it. And by all accounts and in large part, because he, connected with the family so well the kids and the whole can family I, and those home visits and 
they would always go into signing day like, oh no, they're only ranked tenth or whatever. And then like every, I don't know if we were using the terminology five star yet at that point, but every five star that was still in the mix all chose Florida State. If I ask you this, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're going to say, but like of the people in college football, and it usually is the coaches because the players are still you know so young. Who has a little bit of an awe you are awestruck by the first time you were around them or kind of spent time visiting with them? He would definitely be one of them. And the first time I spent time around him was, um, and I said this on on Twitter, um, they were about to play Virginia Tech in the national title game in New Orleans. Sebastian Janikowski, uh, star kicker from Poland, gets caught uh, missing curfew on New Year's Eve, as do two other players. The two other players get suspended or they can't start or something like that. But, you know, they weren't going to do without Janikowski. And then everybody asked him why. And he said, oh, we have an international exception. Uh, and everybody around him cracked up. That was the first time I was I saw him in person or was around him in person. Um, I don't know, any of the prominent coaches of that time, Spurrier, uh, certainly Joe Paterno, you know, I was pretty, it was pretty surreal to be, talking to somebody who you'd grown up watching on TV. I don't, yeah, I agree about that. I just felt like there was a, for Bobby Bowden to me, it was a little different um, in terms of that. Like I said, there was a little bit of awestruck just because of his personality was so kind of engaging. And I was just like, it, it just, I don't know. I think it was a combination of that and just being so approachable. Um, where some of the other guys I don't necessarily didn't feel that. I'm not saying it wasn't there. I just didn't see it the same way um, as I did with him. So uh, our thoughts are not just with his family, but everybody who he, who he uh, connected and everybody whose life he impacted. And there were tons of people and there are tons of people. So um, just thinking about all them as well as college football lost a legend. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So we teased that we did an episode on Friday. We teased this today on Monday. Your 2021 college football freaks list is out. And this is an annual staple that people just eat up. And for some reason, you aren't subscribed to The Athletic yet. You need to go to theathletic.com slash the audible for discounted subscription. So you can read this year's freaks list. Um, I'm going to tee you up on a few of them. Number one is Alabama left tackle. Evan Neal. What makes Evan Neal the biggest freak in college football? This we'll start with the size. I mean, he was 360 last year. He has trimmed down 10, 15 pounds since then. Remarkably flexible. Um, we have a video that he had tweeted out uh, that runs with the story of him basically doing a, 
a split leg box jump. That's, I don't think most people who weigh a hundred pounds less could do this and do it as also as effortlessly. But then there's some other stuff that Matt Ray, the director of sports science there had shared with me um, up about it. I mean, you're talking about a guy who basically is a hundred pounds bigger than a big tight end and has that kind of agility. I mean, the fact that he bench presses almost 500 pounds and at, when he was weighing 350s down a little bit from that, hitting 18.5 miles per hour on the GPS, like I said, that's moving well for a tight end. He's over 100 pounds more than that. Um, one of the guys I talked to who's worked with him had said his body fat last year was 22%. Most guys, offensive linemen at the combine, if they're, if they're down to 22%, they're around 300 pounds. They're nowhere near 350, 360, and that's what he was. Uh, so he was a guy that I knew would be somewhere in the top 10. Then the more I heard from Alabama, the more I was like, okay, this is the guy I'm going to go with. It's rare. Usually I have defensive linemen. I feel like I've been the top choice. There was a year I had Saquon. Um, but this time it's at left tackle. And, and uh, I asked Nick Saban about him yesterday morning. And he just, he raved not just about, his, you know, about his athleticism, but also about everything else that comes with it. And I thought he was an ideal way to get into it. I'm supersizing the freaks list. It's usually 50. We decided to do it to 101 players this year. And I thought he was a great way to start off. Let's talk about that for a second. The, there's a hundred, 101 players on this list and every single one of them, you have to reach out to somebody to find out all the info uh, that goes into each of these stories. It's just, it's like reporting a book. It feels like how, give us, give the listeners just a little bit of a window into how you go about compiling this. How long does it take? How many phone calls are required? So I usually start out sometime in the winter, and it's not intensive in the winter. It's just kind of tracking guys a little bit or touching base with a few people. Um, it's a lot of it's a lot of corresponding with coaches, uh, NFL scouts. You know, I had some really good conversations with Jim Nagy, who runs a Senior Bowl. He's a longtime NFL scout, and his staff about you know trading information with them. There's players involved. I hear from a bunch of players. And um, honestly, and you know, it's so funny. I can, I can hear our buddy Pete Thamel kind of like giggling at this. But like, God bless strength coaches because they are the lifeblood of this. And so I, I'm in communication with them, especially right down to we ran this. It went up, I don't know what time, like probably 3 a.m. Pacific time on Monday morning. I was talking to some strength coaches Sunday afternoon about specific guys and specific things and one of the things that I'm most pleased with and the, really the last two years but especially this year was when I first started doing this at, at ESPN.com like back it's almost 20 years ago now it was a lot of big name schools and big name players there was a few that were you know Mac guys in there but what I've been able to do now is get into a handful of guys who are not Division one players, or they're not FBS players. There's a handful of FCS guys. There's a Division two guy. There's um, there's some real random schools in there. And one of the one of the interesting things that popped up this year was there's a particular player whose numbers are absolutely freakish. And I was talking to their head coach, his head coach, about this, 
And I could tell there was a little hesitance to, I put this guy out there because I'm afraid some big school is going to try to swoop in and pull him away. Um, mm. And in the, you know, and then we talked about it a little bit, and I think there was a, hey, this, this guy deserves the publicity. And you know, by the time this thing runs, it's not like I don't think this kid's going to bail out of the school or somebody's going to jump in. But like, there are so many neat stories that are under the umbrella of Freaks List. And there was a handful this year that especially kind of like, all right, all right this, this is a very, um, very cool backstory. And like one of them in particular, Stu, was a guy I had never heard of. Now I knew Southern Illinois was really, really good this year, FCS program. And they have an offensive guard um, Zevion Furkron, 6'2", might be the strongest guy in college football. Squats 800, which is ridiculous. Benches 500, also ridiculous. We got footage of, of both of those things. But this is also a guy who you know grew up basically without his father around. His mom passed away. His sister passed away. Both of those happened in the last year. And all through it all, he's maintained a 4.0 GPA, in a master's program and the coach there, Nick Hill, who I think a lot of people in coaching circles know is rising star in the business. He's like, this is the best leader we've ever had. I just can't say enough about him. And so to be able to kind of share some of these athlete stories and, and kind of put a spotlight on it, especially in this, because I think if I had written a story about this lineman on, on its own, I'm not saying nobody would have seen it, but I just think in the context of all these other athletes, like this story gets way more eyeballs than almost anything else I do. So I felt like it's a great way to kind of tie the two things together. Yeah. And to your point, right. The number one and two, number one, two and three players are from Alabama, Michigan and Notre Dame. They're Dame being Kyle Hamilton, but then number four is an Appalachian state receiver. Number six is a UTSA cornerback, Tariq Woolen. Um, they're sprinkled throughout this list. These, um, you know, here's Derek Stingley at number nine. Everybody knows who he is. Uh, but then sprinkled not far under that is an Idaho State wide receiver at number 12, Tanner Connor. I love that there's a UConn guy at number 13 because UConn didn't even play last year. So you refer to him as one of the best kept secrets in college football. I mean, he's going to be stepping out on the field for the first time in two years and gives people a reason for the first time in a long time to um, pay attention to UConn football. I wanted to go back and ask you about Aiden Hutchinson. So the Michigan defensive end is number two. And, you know, if you follow college football, you, you, you know who he is. He's been an all-conference, borderline, all-American player for a couple of years now. And in your tweet promoting the story, you mentioned that you've had one of these guys from Michigan almost every year going back to Rashawn Gary. And I bring that up because I think it probably adds to this perception of why aren't they better. You know, Harbaugh is recruiting these elite athletes, at least at certain positions, but we're not seeing it play out on the field. Yeah, I mean, look, 3D lineman in four years. And look, last year, Aiden Hutchinson had a really injury-shortened 2020. Uh, so there was a little of that. But I think what it really is, is they've missed a lot at cornerback. They've missed a lot at some positions. Quarterback has been underwhelming, right? Um, and cornerback, as good as defenses as Don Brown had... When they went up against Ohio State, somebody who had elite players on the outside, they really struggled. Even when they went up against Michigan State, who Michigan State has two pretty good receivers, but they just looked like they were lost out there. Now, 
Dax Hill, he could have made this list. He's a safety. He's a special athlete. But I don't know, you know, my sense on it from talking to people who've coached at Michigan was that they have missed on some some defensive backs, especially at corner, and I think that's a function of it. Look, Aiden Hutchinson, I think, you know, it's not just people inside the Michigan program. It's NFL scouts. There are people really, really excited about him and think he's going to have a monster year and think he's going to tear it up at the NFL Combine when he goes through that process. Um if I was, and, and I mean, we talked about Big Ten Media's a little bit, but the thing that did strike me a, a little about being an indie um, was the two players they brought. They brought three, but uh, two of the guys, Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Ross, um, feel like they are really good leaders for what Michigan needs right now. I, I talked to Josh Ross for a little while in one-on-one in Indy. And one of the things that struck me was the feeling of accountability that you kind of was oozing out of him about like, cause I asked him like what happened against Michigan state and you could see in his hands, like it was almost like balling up into fists, how frustrated he was by what happened. And I think you can kind of get that vibe on the chip on the shoulder of Aiden Hutchinson as well. Um, it's not to say that they're all of a sudden finally going to beat Ohio state this year or anything, but I did get the sense that there was a level of pride in the guys that are leading the team that I'm not saying it was it's definitely been lacking but I feel like they know it wasn't good enough and they're going to do whatever they can to fix it now what does that mean in 2021 does that mean they go eight and four does that mean they go 10 and two I don't know right now because obviously they got to get better on offense but I think they also have to find a way to deal with people in you know uh, when they throw the football whether that means they're Aiden Hutchinson is is just dominant and causing all kinds of havoc for uh, in the backfield or the defensive backs aren't giving up a ton of big plays and a lot of PIs I think that to me that is like one of the biggest uh, challenges for new DC Mike McDonald there So in the early, you know, we got a couple other topics to hit on, but I would just say early on, you know, the reaction you're getting, is there any particular name who people were like, oh, I'm so, it's so great to see this person on here. I'm glad you recognized him or the opposite. How could you not have such and such on here? You know, it's uh, unfortunately for like, I was in the car, so I had to run uh, some, I had to go into Fox to do something for a little bit. So I have not been in the comments much to see who did I miss out on this year or not um the 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 reaction a little bit like i feel like i could get an honorary degree from lenore lenore ryan which is in north carolina a few years ago i had kyle duggar on there and kyle duggar ended up getting drafted high by the patriots and freaky athlete and kyle duggar was the one who actually told me about um a guy i had on there last year who when i talked to those coaches they think that this is another one is really special and I had um, we got a really cool photo of Derek Young by the way Derek rhymes with freak uh, a huge 6 to 215 receiver vertical jumps 43 and a half inches broad jumps 11 three just a guy that um, you know I feel like this list is kind of made for uh, and so a lot of people at that school you mentioned UConn there's a lot of it's funny because there's a lot of UConn football people who are very excited to see Travis Jones uh, and there's a lot of Cincinnati people who are happy to see three 
Bearcats on the list, and I could add more. In fact, when I ran into Desmond Ritter out here in California a few weeks back, uh, I asked, we talked about Freaks List, and Desmond Ritter's on the Freaks List. He you know, has a 400 shuttle, which is crazy fast for any position. Um, and I asked him who, his, who would he would have, and um, I didn't exactly go with his top choices, but um, it's... You know you're you know you're really good when you have that many legit guys with those kind of, that kind of athleticism. So I feel like Cincinnati has really um, really stepped up a little bit, and uh, you know their Brady Collins, who's the strength coach there, has clearly done a really good job because they have upgraded the athleticism in that program in a huge way from before when Luke Fickle took over. Some other news to address the. Arizona State recruiting scandal continues. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Adam Brenneman, the tight ends coach, was placed on an administrative leave being connected to the recruiting uh, violations that are being alleged now on Monday. They have now added wide receiver coach Prentice Gill and DB coach Chris Hawkins to paid administrative leave. So training camp is underway. ASU is now down three assistant coaches. And it, of course, makes you wonder who might be next. Okay, so what's interesting to me is Adam Brenneman was the first one who was really put out there in terms of he initially, when he got to ASU, was a GA. GAs don't make hardly any money. So the idea that Adam Brenneman was bankrolling some of this seemed implausible, if not downright laughable. Um, and then the two other assistants who are also starting out their careers, as you mentioned, both of those guys, to think that they were were masterminding this situation. I don't want to call it necessarily a scheme, but that's what it feels like from you know from the reporting Doug and I have done and some of the people we've heard from. And so the idea that these three guys at the beginning of their career not being paid much money would be the ones funding all this and orchestrating this does not add up. And so the people I've talked to around Arizona State, and I think Doug has heard similar, is that people at ASU are hoping these guys will be the fall guys, essentially, and they'll pin it on them. And that ASU, which there's optimism that they are gonna that they could have a really good year this year, that this year will play out. And then at, at some point that the NCAA will weigh in on this in a, in a direct way. And then all of a sudden... Who can they who can they keep in in positions of power? Will it be Herm Edwards still the head coach? Will it be Antonio Pierce, the defensive coordinator, who's basically, from what we've heard a lot of, is kind of the de facto head coach of the program? And Ray Anderson, the AD, and, and as we reported, Gene Boyd, the number two uh, in the athletic department who oversees football. Gene Boyd's role is also very much in question. So will those people be able to still be at Arizona State and they'll just kind of pin it on these three uh, entry-level position coaches? Uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, ASU is in a very precarious spot. And I would ask you on this front. Now, we've seen head coaches with coaching with show causes. Maybe that's where it's headed for these... these coaches at ASU, and I'm not talking about the three young coaches, I'm talking about potentially Herm as well as the other, you know, I don't know how you handle a, a number one and number two AD and his number two, but I mean, if the, if the school really wants to back them, 
It's not like once you have the job, if somebody doesn't want to fire somebody, and we've seen this in the basketball scandals that have gone on in college hoops, those people are, I don't want to say they're almost untouchable, but it feels like that, does it not? I mean, you follow the college hoop scandals quite a bit, you know, whether we've seen scandals with Jim Beheim, we've seen scandals with a lot of other high-profile coaches who have a lot of capital within their universities. Do you think that's 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 how this could play out? Yeah, I just, I don't think people fear the NCAA the way they once did. I don't think there's any faith or, or you know, the, the old strategy of these would be here would be to clean house and show you're taking this seriously and basically beg for mercy. But ever since UNC basically lawyered its way out of a huge academic fraud scandal with almost no penalties, it does seem like now it's become, now it's, now it's different if you're, if you're Tennessee and you kind of want to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt anyway, then okay, you know, let him get caught up in that recruiting scandal. But if it's a coach who you really want to keep, uh, I mean, certainly in basketball, there nobody is. I mean, Kansas is pretending that the stuff that's on the FBI wiretaps is not the stuff everybody else heard on the FBI wiretaps at that trial. And Bill Self is still employed, and his assistant who's on the wiretaps is still employed, and so on. So the question is: Is Herm Edwards has he reached? He hasn't reached Bill Self status. So. And Antonio Pierce, I mean, you're saying they think they can pin it on these three assistants. These three assistants are going to talk to the NCAA and they're going to tell them all about Antonio Pierce. So I really don't feel like you can hold on to him forever. But if the goal is to like, well, we think we're going to have a really good season, so let's just wedge it in uh, before we fire anybody else. I, yeah, I guess you could take that strategy and and just hope that the NCAA's own incompetence um, prevents you from getting any serious sanctions. Yeah, and I guess the question then is going to be what what would define as serious sanctions right now? Also, um, scholarships. I think the what's the one thing that that you like? I don't even think bowl bans necessarily have that effect anymore. If you're going to miss a bowl game for one year, oh well. Um, but if you come in and start taking away significant numbers of scholarships, that can set the program back for years. It could. It had, but the key is like it hurt USC because it was what was it thirty and three years? I mean, it's some you know, significant number. It's not four scholarships each class or something like that. And again, I think one of the things that that needs to be sorted out here is what exactly um, what exactly is the NCA going to be able to pin down on this? Because you know, some of this from from what I've heard is was handled in cash. Now there, there's documentation. We've also heard on a few other things, but how is that um, going to unfold? As we had reported at the beginning of this, um, this is feels like it's like six weeks ago. Uh, Herm knew about pl- recruits being brought to him on campus when it was a dead period because of COVID, and I think the fact that it was a dead period because of COVID, when you talk to other people around college football, I think that there's a lot of stuff that goes on and I'll use this term, in the gray area, which is really not the gray area, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on that people inside the sport are going, you know, kind of like, well, even if you get caught at that, it's like, how egregious is that? I think the dead period in a, during COVID was a different, was, was kind of a different threshold for a lot of people. Um, and so... We'll see. I mean, again, I think people are pretty cynical about this stuff at this point. You and I have talked plenty about what a scandal is. Are we going to look at Arizona State completely differently than 
than if this went on someplace else and there wasn't the salacious nature because a lot of this is kind of has leaked out because there have been so many aggrieved former staffers at Arizona State and as you said about uh, the three young assistants especially if this is the end of their careers um, I don't know if all three will speak I imagine if at least one will but I think there's going to be other other uh, staffers or former staffers who are not on that staff who I think from what I understand will gladly speak to the NCA about this and that's the stuff I think ASU has to be especially worried about yeah, just to be clear, if this were normal times, sort of 2018, 2019, I don't know that people would be freaking out about that they had brought in recruits during a dead period when they shouldn't have, or somebody's unofficial visit got paid for. You know, those are those are violations. Um, but I mean, we've seen—I don't want to say comparable, but like for instance, you know, Florida got in a little bit of trouble last year for uh, Dan Mullen being in a. Uh, at a high school when he shouldn't be you know we see stuff like that and it just barely makes our and that was also that was a show cause and he has a what do you have a six-month show cause or what however the length of it was i mean this uh, this is a coach who got a show cause but it's also a coach who got like a 1.5 million dollar raise in the wake of the show cause so i yeah these things don't happen in a vacuum and this one is entirely um you know, this is entirely about it happening during COVID and and at a time when everybody was trying to be super duper cautious and not, you know, break their bubble uh, in their football building. And they were clearly not paying a lick of attention to that and bringing in recruits and their families from the outside. And the, and it was so brazen that like, when do you ever see David Shaw being quoted on the record about this um, rival AD expressing his disappointment? You know, you, you never see that especially not in this early stage when it hasn't even fully been vetted yet. So I, because of that, we know the NCAA process is completely arbitrary from one case to the next. There's no consistency in the punishments. If they want to make an example out of you, they can make an example out of you. And I think to your point, if they can prove this stuff, they are going to make an example out of ASU because they're going to want to show how seriously they take health and safety. And this was a pretty, uh, blatant disregard of that. Just one other thing on this. Where did I know? I feel like you told me you have Utah winning the Pac-12 South. Were you higher on before this story blew up? Were you higher on Arizona State coming into this year? Did you have them as a preseason top twenty team or no? Um, I had them like low top twenty-five, and I considered them in Utah to be, you know, kind of co-favorites of the Pac-12 South. Not much separating them, but it's hard to be to stay that excited about ASU with all this turmoil. So I don't, you know, you, you never know how a team's going to respond to something like this. Sometimes they, they makes them closer. They rally together. Sometimes it completely splits the team apart. Um, you know, I saw them at Pac-12 media day, Jaden Daniels there representing the program as if nothing's happening. Herm Edwards was there. Wouldn't comment on this, but happy to talk about the season. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it may affect them. They do have, uh, they do have a lot to like uh, about that team, including a, a great, uh, you know, Jane Daniels is a very promising quarterback. You had a great backfield tandem. Um, they've upgraded their recruiting, but who knows? Like kids' eligibility may be affected by this by the time all is said and done. We don't know. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, Stu, let's go to the mailbag. As always, we uh, welcome your questions to the Audible Pod at gmail.com. Stu, do you want me to begin with this? Sure. All right, Stu, we talked about UConn Randy Etzel's program a little bit a bit ago in relation to the freaks list. Uh, Lauren from Raleigh, North Carolina asks us this. Guys, there are five games involving FBS teams in week zero. What's a brief expectation for each? UConn hasn't played in two years. What will that look like? New Mexico State was atrocious in the spring. Can we read too much into that? What games are you most excited about in week zero? Can't believe we're less than 30 days out from the start of the season. That's right, Lauren. I can't believe it either. I am so fired up, though, that we are talking about week zero and we have games coming up. Stu, what of those matchups has you most giddy? It is an interesting little slate. And Nebraska, Illinois is clearly the headliner. It's Brett Bielema's first game at Illinois. It's the first uh, game for Scott Frost and what you and I talked about a couple weeks ago. We think is a make-or-break season for him. It's getting the uh, Fox. Is it getting the big noon treatment? Uh, it is getting the big Bo Garrett, Brock Heward, and Joe Davis treatment. So that's There you go. Um, so, obviously, that's the one I'll be watching the most closely. But uh, for the reasons Lauren said... Just the fact that you're going to see UConn step on a football field for the first time in two years. They were terrible the last time we saw them, but who knows what's been going on behind the scenes for two years. And then we've talked a lot on here about UCLA and is this, and is Chip Kelly going to break through this year? They host Hawaii a week before you get a little sneak peek at UCLA before they uh, go and play LSU the next week. I have a feeling we will be seeing very little of Chip Kelly's game plan in this one because it's on ESPN. Uh, all right. There's a little bit uh, intel I have. This is semi-freaks related. Uh, you want to tune in to watch UTEP at New Mexico State. Hopefully you can tune in somewhere. I don't even know if that's on TV, actually. Uh, 
Bally Sports. What is it? It's on Bally Sports. Okay. Which Hopefully, it's on my. T- like uh, that used to be the Fox, like Fox Sports South, Fox Sports Midwest, etc. Is now Bally Sports. Okay. Well, um, Dennis Barnes is a guy who plays for the Miners, and Dana Dimmel has told me uh, he is a guy who could be going both ways in that game. Is a DB wide receiver. <laughs> Not very big, 5'10", 170, but is a 4'3 guy. Keep an eye on him. Um, by the way, on the UConn-Fresno State game, Fresno State, I could see them being very, very good. They're, I, I just think that they're one of those teams. Like, they are kind of under the radar always. Um, keep an eye on them. I think that's going to be a tough one out of the gate. Randy Etzel's program is traveling all the way across the country. And they're playing a team that has some really good players. Um, Even Southern Utah at San Jose State, let's not completely forget about the Spartans, the defending Mountain West champions. Nick Starkle, co-captain of my all-geezer team, making you know the start of his sixth season in college football. So uh, I have at least some level of interest in all those games. Yeah, obviously the, to the big one is that Nebraska-Illinois game, two Big Ten teams. Two big personality coaches, or at least big name coaches. Um, if you're a betting man, and I, I know you are, where what do you think is <laughs> going to happen? Uh, I will take the Huskers uh, just because it's not first game for the new coach, and they have a fourth-year quarterback. Illinois has a lot more uncertainty personnel-wise, but I will say we're all curious to see what effect all of these super seniors have on college football this year, all this added experience and Illinois, I believe has the most of any team in the country, 17 uh, guys who would have been gone after last year opted to come back. Yeah. I think Bielma takes over an interesting time. Uh, you know, I mentioned this a while back doing the uh, Lovey Smith's bowl game two years ago. I remember when that was when they played Cal spending a little time with him and his staff and they thought the team in 2020 was going to be really good because they were building towards that. They had a bunch of transfers uh, who had played well, but they felt like a year later were going to be really good. Obviously, COVID hit. It wouldn't surprise me if Illinois won seven games this year. Like, I could see them. They have, a, as you said, a bunch of experience. Uh, Isaiah Williams came in as a quarterback. They think he's really going to be a dynamic slot receiver. Brandon Peters has played a lot now. He's, he's a pretty good quarterback. I feel like they have some really underrated guys. Um, I'm not ready to pick that game, but... Like, that's a good game. That's a really intriguing matchup. And normally the Week 0 game is is usually pretty awful, and this is not an awful game. This is a good matchup. Well, if Illinois wins seven games, for Scott Frost's sake, he, I hope that that's not one of them, <laughs> or he's going to be in big trouble right off the gate. Um, Nathan and Boulder with a little bit of a uh, – I like this because it's realignment related but not necessarily the same thing we've been talking about for weeks – there are a few top 30 coaches still in the remaining Big 12. Matt Campbell, Mike Gundy, and Gary Patterson specifically. Do you think the changes to their conference will prompt them to consider new jobs, or are they attached to their schools enough to wait until the dust settles? This is a good question. Uh, I think Matt Campbell's the most intriguing one because you got two other guys. Gary Patterson literally has a statue of him built there. And Mike Gundy, as much as his name came up occasionally for like whenever TCU has popped open, or I'm sorry, whenever Tennessee has popped open, I just don't see Mike Gundy going someplace else at this point. This is his alma mater. He's built this huge house and set up there. I feel like he's not leaving, I, I don't think, for someplace else. Um, 
of the ones who are upwardly mobile, I mean, you and I both agree Matt Campbell's a top 10 coach. He's been a, a, a great fit at Iowa State. Um, I think it would take a lot for him to leave. We know NFL has had interest in him. We know some big brand schools have had interest in him. I don't know if this would be a tipping point for him, but I don't think it helps, let's put it that way, to, to keep Yeah, it. I mean, I think Matt Campbell wants to be at Iowa State and maybe until two or three weeks ago fully believed he can accomplish what he needs to accomplish at Iowa State. Maybe he still feels that way, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe he sees the writing on the wall that they're going to be diminished as a conference and feels like he needs to go somewhere that's going to be more stabilized. I will say it kind of makes this Iowa State season even more interesting because, I mean, I know you're on board. You believe they could make the playoff. And if they can do that, then I think conference realignment maybe doesn't affect that program as much as as you think. And maybe even for all the talk about how these eight schools, nobody wants them, there is always a little bit of recency bias in conference realignment. I know that you know Utah got to the Pac-12 in large part because that was all happening right after they uh, had that undefeated season. So you know TCU had just gone to the Rose Bowl when they moved up to the Big 12. Iowa State makes the college football playoff. I think they probably do become more attractive to another Power Five conference, and then Matt Campbell could accomplish whatever he wants to there. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating year because, as we said, they have they're loaded in terms of who they come back, not just experienced guys on the offensive line or on defense. You know, their quarterbacks obviously played a lot, but big time running back, very good receivers, terrific tight end. They got a lot of pieces there. Feels like the iron is pretty hot for them. Um, one thing this question also did for me was it kind of reinforced, man, the big 12 is, um, I don't want to bash it, but in terms of like, it's so diminished if you if you do take Oklahoma out of it and certainly Texas because then you start going through a list of like who are the other commodities that people are going to go like okay that feels like big time football and right now it's just not there at this point once you get past the names that that Nathan threw out Max Olson who's been covering the heck out of realignment for us in terms of the Big 12 implications had a really good story on Monday you should read with a bunch of updates on where things stand with that league. Um, and it had in it a graphic that I thought was pretty telling. Um, first, he got into their average recruit- recruiting class rankings. And the fact is, none of these teams, of these te- other eight teams, TCU has the highest five-year average class ranking, and that's 31. So not a single top 25 recruiting team in the bunch. And then the one that really stood out to me NFL draft picks by conference, 2017 to 2021 per school. The SEC, 21.3 draft picks per school over that period. The AC, and then there's a big drop off to the ACC at 13.2, the Big Ten, 12.7, the Pac 12, 13.3. The Big 12 is 10.3. But if you take Oklahoma and Texas out of it, the Big 12 average is 7.8 NFL draft picks per school, about a third of the SECs. That is a huge drop-off, right? But that's not the be-all, end-all, but it's a big piece of it, right? I mean... It's pretty telling, because it's not like it's going to get easier for those schools to recruit future NFL players if they don't find a Power 5 landing spot. No, it's exactly true, yeah. 
Do you know anything about Tulsa? Um, I know they have two good receivers. All right, good enough. Um, okay. All right, Drew in Kiowa Island, South Carolina, with a maybe the first ever Tulsa question on this podcast. Why is Tulsa not getting more love coming into the 2021 season? Presumed starter Davis Brin was electric and leading a comeback win against Tulane in virtually one and a half quarters last season. The Golden Hurricane returned 10 starters from one of the nation's best defenses last fall, and their schedule features multiple intriguing games, including at Oklahoma State, at Ohio State. I agree, that's pretty intriguing. Memphis, at Cincinnati, at SMU. What should the expectations be in 2021 for Coach Montgomery's group as a return to the AAC title game, a fair ask? I don't think it's a fair ask. Look, they returned 10 starters back from the defense. You know who they don't return, Stu? I think you know. The best the best defensive player in the country, arguably, last year? Yeah, I thought you were going to say in the conference. But, yeah, you can – I mean, Zayvon Collins did everything for them. He's 6'4", 260, could run sideline to sideline and made a ton of plays both – uh, in the backfield and in you know in the secondary and coverage, right? So I think the challenge is with this. Like, here's what what is good is they do have two really good receivers. You know, as we were joking about this, um, not joking, but when we were talking offline about how much have we seen of these guys? I mean, they have really good receivers. I mean, they're you know, I think the challenge with them. Where one thing Montgomery's done really well is former Baylor assistant has gotten really good players out of Texas. Juan Carlos Santana, he's one of those receivers. Um, he's a Texas kid. Keelan Stokes, the other guy. I mean, these are really good players. I just don't know if, when you look at what the AAC has, I think Cincinnati is a legit top 10, top 15 kind of team. I think they're that good. Uh, I think when you start to look at the rest of the conference, to me, you know, I think SMU is going to be really good. They have really good receivers. I think Sonny Dykes has upgraded the talent there quite a bit. Um, I don't see Tulsa as one of the top three teams in the league. I think they're somewhere in the next in next level behind that because I think Houston's going to be much improved. I think they're kind of right right in that group. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I got to tell you, I I you know feel really bad about us dumping on Tulsa because my, we're, the not, level we're not dumping defense. on them. We're just saying like uh, they're not, I don't think they're Cincinnati. Also, again, uh, the thing I want to caution against is they have a lot of guys back. The one guy they don't have back is the best player the school's had in a long time there. So that's, that's all I'm saying is I think they're a very good team. I just don't know if I see them being like what Cincinnati to me, Cincinnati is right now the class of the conference. That's all. Yeah, I would. I think I would at least put Cincinnati and SMU above them. I know some people are very high in Houston, um, but I, I, let's just put it this way: Tulsa showed me enough last year that I'm not going to completely dismiss them. And partially, that's going to be just completely out of respect to Drew and Kiowa Island, who is clearly must be a Tulsa alum. Because I just, I just can't imagine Drew. I'm curious: are there any other Tul- uh, Tulsa fans? On Kiowa Island, when you when you want to watch the games on Saturdays, do you have anybody, any uh, fellow Tulsa fans you can go to a watch party with? Um, feel free to follow back up at the Audible Pod at gmail.com. Just for for whatever for for FWIW on this uh, in the preseason AAC media poll, do you know where Tulsa finished? Uh, fourth. No, that would be Dana Holgerson's team finished fourth. 
They finished sixth. Now, that doesn't mean they won't prove people wrong, but it was Cincinnati overwhelming favorite, 22 of the 24 first-place votes. UCF got the other two. Uh, let's see how Gus does in Oh, my York. gosh. We didn't even mention you. I know. Before. I felt like uh, I should have. Um, the but Gus bus. The Gus bus. We'll see how it goes there. Uh, he's still got a bunch of talent there from uh, from Josh Heupel. SMU is third. Houston fourth. Memphis fifth. Tulsa sixth. Tulane. Willie Fritz done a nice job there. Is seventh. Then ECU Navy. Temple. And number 11, USF. You see uh, the video of Big Cat Bryant, the uh, big defensive end who transferred, you know, followed Gus from uh, Auburn to UCF. They asked him, hey, you, you've played in the SEC. You know, how would this roster stack up? And he immediately said, oh, we would definitely beat Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there you have it. Uh, big Cat Bryant throwing his former teammates under the bus. I, uh, you know, he has every reason to be confident and speak highly of his new team, but I, I couldn't believe he went there. Okay, Stu, last question is from Quinn in Bowling Green, Ohio. Stu and Bruce, will NIL allow larger brand schools to skirt scholarship limits? For example, major NIL player earners could be talked by coaches and booster into opting to pay their own way while earnings and be walk-ons, in quotes, not counted in NCAA scholarship limits. This falls in the category of, you know, I just keep seeing all of these NIL conspiracy theories, but all these ways that they're going to manipulate the rules. And they all basically come down to people believing that these boosters are so overzealous and so reckless with their money that they would just throw it in and burn it on fire. Like, why would you, why would you do this? Um, so that your school can get more walk-ons guys that are probably, that might not even play. Um, I, think maybe you could see I'll, I'll give anybody a, uh, anything a, a chance that maybe somebody will try something like this. I just can't see it catching on. Um, and it also, if you're that player, if you're that star player, why would you recruit? Why would you agree to pay your own way and be compensated with NIL when you could do both? So you could get the scholarship and get the NIL money. That's, that's the flaw I see in that plan. Yeah. It seems, I don't want to say use the term far fetched, it doesn't seem I, I I agree with you on that. I mean, the idea that it could happen if there was some kind of it it just doesn't seem like it's a it's gonna be a a, a thing. It seems like it could be maybe a one off. But uh, that's about as far and as Quinn is not alone in this thinking. Every time I mention, you know, in the conference everybody always asks about with conference realignment. And the SEC getting OU in Texas, I'm like, well, as long as there's still a 25 scholarship limit, like they can't get, they can't hoard that many more recruits, the SEC, than they already do. And people come back at me, well, you're not taking into account NIL. Like there's just a contingent of fans who think that these schools are going to weaponize NIL in some way to amass war piles of recruits. And I'll just, I'll believe it when I see it. I still think that, um, I think it'll be very, I think, I don't I, I think something crazy could happen when it comes to like a, the next Jadavian Clowney type recruit and that there ends up being some sort of bidding war where uh, boosters are using their companies to, to fund it. Like I could see, totally see that happening, but on a, on a, like such an organized scale that you're paying for whole recruiting classes seems unrealistic. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with you on that. That seems a little over, over the skis at this point. 
As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Stu, we got anything else to talk about? We got three, we got four weeks of season con- preview content coming on The Athletic. So please, the athletic.com slash the audible, get that discount. See you next time. Thank you.